because the Christian hope is one of the reversal of division. And so part of what we do as people, but also as a community of faith, is we heal the divisions and we bridge the places where there's a gap between us and other people. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. Now, one of the things that Penny was doing over this holiday ties into this. So let me turn it over to her for a minute to share about a few things that she has, and then we'll get into our scripture and then our main points today. So, Penny, over to you. Yeah. So this is the book that I read. Well, actually, I'm only halfway through. It's quite heavy. It's a natural history of the hedgerow and ditches, dikes and dry stone walls. It was given to me and I love it. And uh, it just, well, you know, I love nature. And for me, if I want to find God, then my special place with God is in nature. And uh, I'm going to, Malcolm's going to put up a slide of a place that we walked uh, one day a couple of weeks ago when we were on holiday. Um, so this is, we, we just climbed a hill and this was the view from the top. It's a valley called Heavens Valley uh, in mid Wales. Uh, apparently it was the favourite for C.S. Lewis, although I didn't know that until Malcolm told me this morning. Mm -hmm. And it shows you hedgerows uh, for so much of the landscape in this country the boundaries are all marked by hedgerows and they are actually a really, really important part of our biodiversity. So um, I've got a couple of minutes to talk about hedgerows. And what you'll see here, um, can people see me? Right, okay. So anybody know what this is? You're gonna need to put your hand up. We'll take, we'll take the big picture off. Holly? Uh, no, good guess. It's got the red berries, hasn't it? Anybody else? See if I can show you. See the shape of the leaves there? Hawthorn. Hawthorn, very good. Okay, so that's Hawthorn. And then this one here, a bit more tricky. Again, you've got a leaf shape there. And then there's a clue. Like that bit there is a clue. It's a stick. It's a stick. <laughs> it's a stick from a hedge. Okay, uh, this is blackthorn. It's difficult because you can't see that many thorns and it doesn't look black either, but it is blackthorn. And these two plus hazel are the main constituents of our hedges uh, in this country. And they're, they're hardworking trees and they're great for farmers. They keep stock in and out of the right places. And as I sort of started reading about this, I hope I'm not going to lose any of you. Um, there's, I'm going to read this little bit from the book. You'll see the relevance in a bit. <laughs> yes. It's coming. It's coming. It's, it's coming. coming. Just wait, wait for it, right. The complexity of relationships and dramas played out on the humble hawthorn is nicely demonstrated by the behaviour of ants, which feed on the honeydew of a jumping plant louse. Now, question here. Anybody know what honeydew is? Any of the kids? Honeydew. Anybody know what honeydew is? Come on, you biologists. It's treated by aphids. It is. It is. It's basically the poop of <laughs> um, green fly and other small insects. And 
if they've got a really nutritious plant, then there's a lot of sugar in their poo, and so other things like to eat it. There you go. So, so on this, so you've got these ants on hawthorn, which feed on the honeydew of a jumping plant louse called Cacopsilla crategii, which Malcolm's going to show us a picture of. This is fabulous. How about that? Ugh. So that is a jumping louse, which feeds on the hawthorn, and then the ants feed on what comes out of his bottom. <laughs> now these louse larvae that you can see on the screen, they are parasitized, which means they get preyed upon by a tiny wasp called Prionomitus mitratus, which Malcolm's going to... lousy. Yeah, close. Um, so here you go now. There's a scale at the bottom. So this little thing in real life is about one and a half millimetres long. And this preys on the earlier horror that we saw. But then this wasp is preyed on by something called a hyperparasitoid. So it's a parasite that feeds on other parasites. And it's called Pachyneuron muscarum but I'm going to spare you a picture of that. And you have this whole little war or web or diversity of different creatures working together. We think that a healthy hedge probably has up to 3,000 species sustained in it, which indirectly is really important for biodiversity, our own plant crops and the health of our planet. So... I'm going to leave you with this thought about how important it is to value everything with a picture of another animal that lives in our hawthorn hedges and it's the it's the caterpillar of the scalloped hazel moth. How about that? Isn't that awesome? Isn't that the most amazing thing you've ever seen? So that is a caterpillar of the scalloped hazel moth and I just love this because I thought, you know, it doesn't matter who we are, we're all important to God. And whether that's in a hedgerow and we're a creature living in a hedgerow or whether we're a person in a church community, then we all have a place to play, a part to play. So there we go. Welcome. All right. All right. Those things are, are, are fascinating and disgusting and weird and, and amazing all at the same time, aren't they? The, uh, isn't it it's really interesting to me that you, you walk past a, a nondescript hedge row, as it appears, right? You just don't think about it. You walk past a hedge. We've got some at the end of the road here. I don't really think about it, but yet that's sustaining 3,000 different species. And it's not only doing that, but it's providing a boundary. It's keeping livestock in or out. It's, there's all kinds of things that are beneficial to um, our world by just by a little hedgerow. And it looks seems to one of these things that one of the things that strikes me about all this sort of thing is that diversity and inclusivity and dependence interdependence is built into creation. The way that God designed this world is he designed it to function together in an integrated way where each part has a place, a part to play, a place for its part to play, as you were saying. 
So every bit matters. It's part of the, the creation. And so what does that mean for us? At least part of what that means for us is that we are meant to be people who function best. We function best, and really we only really function as the way God designed us to function, integrated with other people, working together in life, uh, in our faith, in the way that we live, the way that we bring up our children, the way that we relate to one another, the way that we, we are at work. And all that we do, we're meant to be integrated, we're meant to be together, we're meant to be learning from each other and helping each other to be the best we can for God. And that's the way that God has always designed it. And here's the thing is, the history of God's creation uh, from the time that humankind appeared has been one where this has been damaged. This has been, um, we, we seem to have some, something opposing this, trying to separate people, separate people by gender, separate people by, um, by ethnicity, separate people by all kinds of artificial barriers. And Jesus is the one above all other people in history who shows us by himself breaking down these barriers that all people are to be valued, all are needed, and we are to, to welcome other people into our lives that are different to us. So this is our, our key scripture for today that was read earlier is in Luke 7, where Jesus has this encounter at the Pharisee's house, Simone uh, earlier read for us. And in that place, he's, he's having a tough time from the Pharisees, as usual. And they make the point that um, he shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And he's, they say he's a, a glutton, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. So he's having dinner in a Pharisee's house. And this woman comes who'd lived a sinful life. We don't know exactly what those sins were, but clearly they were significant to, for, that, for her to have that label. And she came in with a jar of perfume, very expensive, and she stands behind him at his feet weeping. So she's just broken about something, presumably her sin. And then it's her tears that make his feet wet. And she starts to wipe them with her hair. Then she kisses the feet and pours perfume on them. Now, the Pharisee is not impressed at all with this. And he says, if this man were a prophet, he'd know who was touching him, what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. And he goes on to tell a parable, which we don't have time to deal with right now. But the point I'd like to make here is that the Pharisee did not understand that the woman no matter her background or whatever, was, was valuable to God as much as anybody else. And what the woman is doing here is something, something both theological and political, interestingly, I would say. Because you, you anoint those you recognize as a king. She anoints his feet with the perfume. And the word anoint is very significant in the scriptures. And it's very significant that Luke includes the word here. He's telling us something. He's telling us that the woman recognizes that Jesus is a king. And only a king can change the legal societal frameworks. And Jesus came as a king to change not only an individual so they could be with God forever, though that's true. 
He cannot only just, if you like, save the individual. He came to institute a whole new way of people relating to one another in the way that God has always dreamed. That we'll be one family, that we'll be one people, that where there's injustice, it would be put right. Where there's a lack of mercy, people would find mercy. And in our world, there's so much division over political lines and ethnic lines and all other kinds of lines that hurts God. And Jesus is the one who would say, let's break down these barriers. Let's include everybody, the sinful woman and the Pharisees. Not like he likes the Pharisee even less than the sinful woman or something. He's having dinner in his house. He wants the Pharisee to be part of this justice, and he wants this sinful woman to be part of this new, this new way of relating, this bringing justice. So the woman who says, you are my king, and you are the king of Israel, and you are the king to bring justice. And of course, that's so much of what Jesus was all about. And so what we're seeing is a beautiful, a beautiful scene of the recognition of the value of the woman, no matter her background, as well as indeed the value of the Pharisee, because he's in his house. If only the Pharisee understood that. And what we're seeing here is the reality that sometimes what are sometimes called the religionists don't get this. And just because someone has religion, just because someone believes in God, does not mean that we fully understand how we as followers of Jesus are meant to be with people who are different from us different in whatever sense. And how are we meant to be, though we are different from other people? We're meant to be the kind of people that welcome those others would reject. We would welcome and bring into our lives or enter into the lives of people different from us in some way or another. I mean, I know this is not the world we live in, but what would it be like if we didn't need a Black Lives Matter movement? What would the world be like if we didn't need diversity training at work or that the equivalent? What would it be like if, if we were friends with and if all of our friends were and all the people around us were friends with one another, no matter the difference of, of the backgrounds? What would it be like? I mean, how much money we could save on military spending and spend it on other things if only we could see this kind of heart that Jesus has spread throughout our society? What an amazing thing it would be. What would the news report on? They'd have to find some other things to talk about. This is what Jesus brings us, this heart. How much different it really could be. So a couple of things for us to ponder. I've been pondering. I'll say that I've been pondering, and I'd like us to maybe think for ourselves. I think there's an external uh, dimension to this, and if you like an internal dimension to what I'm talking about here, this inclusivity of love and acceptance. The external side is the way that we relate to people outside of the Christian faith. And the internal side is how we relate to one another in our fellowship. So let's, let's deal with the external first. So I've been thinking about my neighbors you know, when you go away and you come back and you see some of your neighbors you haven't seen for a while and it's nice to reconnect. Kevin lives next door just over here and uh, he took some packages and parcels for us while we were away, which I was very grateful for. Uh, it's nice to see him. I like Kevin and, uh, and his wife. They're lovely. But then as I was walking around this morning praying and walking past some of the other houses on this road, I realized there's some other people I kind of know but I've 
kind of given up connecting with. So three doors down, we had uh, a new neighbor move in a few, maybe a month ago now called Bash. That's not his real name, but he said, call me Bash because my real name's unpronounceable. I said, okay. So, but I've, and he's different. He's very different from me in many different ways. He's different ethnically. He's different in other ways. I, I've neglected getting to know him. As I walk past houses on our street further down, I noticed at least um, two houses where new people have obviously moved in. You can tell by boxes and new things in the window. There's, we've got new neighbors. I feel, I feel like I've been neglecting getting to know my neighbors especially those a bit different to me. So I'm, I'm thinking about how am I going to connect with Bash and some of these other neighbors? If, if I'm going to be like Jesus, I'm going to be going out of my way to welcome new people into my life. Even with the family, the extended family, it was really nice to see Lydia and Bintesh uh, two weekends ago and to spend some time with Bintesh's mother and father, Parish and Bavna. Um, and I like Bintesh. He's my son-in-law and I like him. Luckily enough, I like him. And I think he likes me. So that's, that's good. That's not too hard. He's, he's a lovely lad and he tries to keep in my good books because it's in his best interests, of course, to do so. Um, but then what about his mum and dad? And even though we've been, we've kind of been nice to them and reached out to them somewhat and all that, they Bintesh was born in India, but grew up basically here most of his life. And so it's, there's a lot more in common I feel I have with Bintesh, even though he's much younger. But mum and dad spent most of their life in India before coming here. And it's, it's harder to connect. Uh, or at least I find it harder to connect. And I think over the last 12 months since the wedding, I've not followed up on the way I thought I would be. I was thinking when I first got to know them and Lydia and Bintesh got married, I thought I will connect quite a lot with Bintesh's mother and father. And actually over the last 12 months, I've really done very little. I think I'm, I sent him, his dad, a, uh, a birthday message and something like that. And I think when, when his mum sent something to us, we sent something back as a gift. But now I, I think we are extended family. And I don't think I've been treating them really like family. And so for me, my neighbor Bash or my son's parent, my son-in-law's parents, pa Parish and Bavna, these are the people that I think God is showing me I could pay more attention to. And even though they're so different, and they are, and it might take more effort on my part to connect, that, that doesn't mean I shouldn't do it. In fact, maybe it's the very opposite. Maybe that's the way I can recognize that it's God prompting me to connect in that way. So that's the sort of external side of things. On the internal side of things, I think it's also important for us to recognize how, 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 how lucky we are as a congregation that God has given us people who are so different to each other that we are together. One of the other things I did this morning when I was out uh, praying was I prayed for all of us here that I expected to see uh, on uh, online today as when I prayed for everybody and the adults, the kids. And actually, by the time I finished, I was I was kind of um, 
wasn't quite crying, but I, I had some tears in my eyes, I will admit, um, because it struck me how amazing it is that we have each other. Uh, how lucky we are to have each other, how different we are. I mean, you know, I don't know about, I'm looking at the screen here with all of us on screen. I don't know if I could put any two screens together and say we're exactly alike. We're all really very different in our experiences, our, our upbringing, our education, our passions, our uh, the story of our lives. We're so different and it's wonderful. It's wonderful how different we are. And then it made me think, as I'd finished praying about that, uh, firstly, I felt very grateful. Uh, but then secondly, I thought, um, are we making the most of it? Am I making the most of it? Am I settling for the kind of relationships we have? I think we have good relationships in this church. I, I don't feel we don't, I think we do. But I wondered, am I just content too, too easily content with the kind of friendships that I have here? Uh, am I investing, um, loving it deeply enough? As Enough's not quite the right word. I'm not, I don't mean like there's some kind of artificial standard or something. It's more, it's more have, I, have I been giving my heart to the relationships, valuing what we have in this incredible fellowship? And I thought, maybe, maybe not. And so as I, you know, being away, they say absence makes the heart grow fonder, right? I think being away has helped me to more greatly value what we have. And I hope that's going to pull me and drive me deeper in my friendships with, with all of us here. And I wonder whether we might want to think about that. Do we really value each other? Um, I, 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 I'm confident that just a few hours with each other, we will learn so much from each other that's going to help us spiritually. And in, well, not only spiritually and in every area of life. We have so much wisdom here to help us with our parenting, with our marriages, with our, with our prayer life, with our understanding of God, um, with how we reach out to a lost world, um, with how we cope with the greater challenges of life that we some of us are going through now. Some of us will go through. We have so much. And I was thinking about this that sometimes maybe we don't, what's the right way to put this? Perhaps we don't think highly enough of ourselves. And I don't mean in a proud sense, but maybe we devalue ourselves as a group unconsciously. Because sometimes we talk about ourselves as being, we're a small church. If someone asks me, how big is the Watford Church? I say, well, about 25 adults and children, plus children. And, uh, you know, we're, we're a small church. But then I thought, actually, in first century terms, we're not a small church. Because in the first century, churches were limited to what you could fit into one home, basically. And most homes would not fit more than 20 or 30 people in a home. So actually, we're a standard-sized church, I would say. Which is the first century standard sized church. We're not a small church. And to use the word small, I think is unhelpful. I think we're just a church. And we've got tremendous resources. Now, our greatest resource is God, not one another. We understand that. But God has put us together. God puts the hedgerows together. And when they're treated right, they flourish and they perform their function. God has put us together here in this congregation, this Watford Church of Christ, for a purpose. 
and we have with God everything we need everything we need one of the verses I meditated on while I, we were away um, was the verse which says in Philippians in fact I'll just turn there it's uh, a verse in Philippians that I just took as a sort of prayer meditation verse uh, for uh, the second half of our holiday and it's Philippians 4 which verse is it I've lost it now that's brilliant isn't it I didn't write it in my notes because I wasn't going to share this um, it's the verse that says and my God will meet all your needs is it there there it is verse 19 this is why I need a beautiful assistant verse 19 of Philippians 4 my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus my God will meet all your needs all your needs he's talking to a church here he'll meet all your needs all the needs that are significant obviously all the needs all your needs according to his glorious the or the riches of his glory the riches of his glory he'll meet all the needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus which means that we lack nothing Psalm 23 verse 1 Lord's my shepherd I lack nothing we don't lack anything if we if we devote ourselves to God and devote ourselves to one another and learning from each other all that God has given us we'll have enough we'll have enough for our own lives to work to, to live out our life of faith and we'll have enough corporately together to be a congregation that will bring God glory we have enough now not enough that comes in the future no and we have enough now and maybe God will add things to us which would be brilliant but we have enough for the calling that God has for us and so just a thought a few thoughts really about this sense of valuing one another and valuing what God has in for us to learn also externally that's all I wanted to share with us today and so the question I might ask us to think about is this has God been providing new people in your life recently have you noticed the way in which God might be bringing new people into your life to help you to, to, to grow and understand other people and to learn from other people is God prompting you in some way has God been bringing new people into your life at work uh, new neighbors uh, perhaps new children at the school where your children go to school perhaps new parents involved there new teachers has God been bringing new people into your life what are, you, what are you noticing? might be worth reflecting on that and praying about that. So if we notice what God is doing, then all we do is cooperate with that. And then we'll learn and grow from each other. We'll learn from each other and grow. First Timothy chapter 2 is where I want to finish, and then we'll take bread and wine together. First Timothy in chapter 2. Because this is about everybody. God has a heart for everybody. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I urge then, 
first of all, that prayers, petitions, intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good and pleases God our Saviour, who wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. This has now been witnessed to at the proper time. You see where the, how the word all is emphasized there in this passage. He wants all people to be saved.